Welcome to Pathfinders, a topical series for men. The world around us is a mess, and it's changing rapidly and not for the better. Men are struggling to find their way. They find themselves in a forest of issues and challenges that has grown up around them, and there does not appear to be a clear pathway out. And because men are the way they are, they might not even realize that they are lost in that forest of issues and challenges. And even if they do realize it, they may not ask for help. Any forest, no matter how dense or unknown it is, can be navigated if there is someone who knows the way, knows where the pathways are, knows where the danger is, knows which paths to take and which ones to stay away from. My objective for this series is threefold. First, to help men understand their circumstances, their situation. A man cannot know where to go if he does not first know where he is. This will also include helping them to see their need for a pathfinder in their life. Second, we all need pathfinders for some part of our lives. So what should we be looking for in a pathfinder? What are the traits and characteristics of this person, of this man, who will help us to find the right path? Third, all men should aspire to be pathfinders. This series should give those men who sense the calling to lead others the tools they need to be pathfinders. Ultimately, this series is about discipleship. This world is a mess, and there are lots of reasons why the world is the way that it is, and it won't be fixed until Jesus comes back. Until then, God is calling his men to stand up and lead people, as many as will follow, away from the darkness that is so pervasive in this world. The world has a leadership problem, and God has given the church the power through the Holy Spirit to do something about it. It is far past time for God's men to stand up and start leading. Welcome to Pathfinders. Good morning, everybody. What a blessing it is to be back at Calvary Chapel, French Valley. The la- uh, Rick and uh, Randy mentioned uh, that the last time that I was here was last April, and I remember uh, that specifically because uh, the Lord kind of called, called an audible on my message, and I, uh, I brought a message on forgiveness, which was not planned, but evidently was something that uh, at that time was needed for some of the folks that were here. Well, again, this morning, um, we're going to share some of the pictures that you're going to be seeing up on the screen uh, come from uh, my recent trip uh, to Israel. And I'm going to begin my message today by sharing a story about that. Um, And uh, there'll be some photos that are kind of uh, rotating through the uh, slide deck up there. uh, And and I'm going to kind of comment on some of those as it pertains to... um, there was like three things this morning that were confirmations that we're on the right track this morning. There's all this stuff that's happening. Even David, I don't know where David went. David's here. David. Okay, he's with David mentioned uh, the uh, 
Abraham uh, offering up his son Isaac, uh, which uh, one of the of the pictures up here of the congregation together there, um, that happened to be the message that I shared with some Israeli defense forces that were gathered there. Um, and it was interesting from that moment, because this is called Camp Bizla, and it is in the middle of the Negev, about 13 miles to the southeast of uh, Beersheba. And uh, the gentleman in the middle there is the commander of the camp. He's my good friend, Ofek, um, who I have on WhatsApp, and we talk all the time, and we pray, and he says, he says, brother, always remember me in your prayers. Always remember Israel, um, and any time that you come, uh, you have a tour guide free of charge. I'll take you all over Israel, and, uh, which is amazing. So Ofek, uh, my good friend, Ofek Schwartz is his name. Um, but I want to share a story with you, and if, uh, if you could go to that photo um, of uh, the three of us side, uh, that are side by side, I want to share what happened. This is a picture of, uh, of two individuals that uh, the one in the middle there is actually standing up on a step. He's actually about a foot shorter than me. Um, <laughs> But his name is Dennis, and he is a uh, chief petty officer, a hospital corpsman who just retired uh, this last month, and I did the retirement ceremony. That's why I was there. The gentleman to the left of him is uh, one of his uh, compadres uh, that he served with during uh, Iraqi freedom uh, and was on my MEW, my Marine Expeditionary Force uh, or unit that I just came back from. That's where I was on a ship uh, in the Middle East uh, doing a deployment. So... The story is that I'm on my ship, the USS Portland, which is, a, which is an amphibious uh, ship, and every other day as a chaplain, I do an evening prayer, which is amazing. I can't believe that legally that it hasn't been attacked more than it has, but, but I get to pray over the entire ship, a thousand Marines and sailors, every other night, um, and it's, it's incredibly powerful. I usually break up. I usually get emotional about it because of the fact that it's still happening. I, I, uh, so anyway, during the course of these evening prayers, his, the guy in the middle there named Dennis, his wife is also a hospital corpsman, a second class who was on the ship with us. She was uh, there and deployed. This was her second or third deployment. And every evening around 1900, 7 o'clock for civilian folks, uh, is when I would do that evening prayer. She was typically, every couple of days, talking to her husband, Dennis, who was back home in San Diego at that time when I was doing the prayer, and they'd be chatting, and then my prayer would come on the one, the one MC around the whole ship, and she would go, shh, shh, stop, shh, stop, stop, shh. He's like, what, what? Chaplain's praying. I, why do I care about that? No, just shh. And, and she was telling me they were laughing about this. And he basically, uh, uh, after a couple of times of hearing this, he says to her, and I would find out about this later, he said to her, who is that chaplain? And she said, well, you know, interesting, he was a former corpsman chief. Um, and, you know, and, and, and talking to her, her husband, who is a corpsman chief, and he goes, oh, really? Wow, that... Um, that, that's amazing. And she said, uh, yeah, every other night he gets to pray over the, over the one MC. And, and so whenever I was praying, it got to the point where after a couple of weeks, he says to her, I'm getting ready to retire as, you know, he's retiring when you get back. Can you ask that chaplain if he will do my retirement ceremony? So in April... I went down to Murphy Canyon Chapel in San Diego. It's in the housing area down there. 
and I get up on the stage with the rest of them, and Dennis is getting ready to retire, and I open up in an invocation, and I pray over the whole thing. And then, one by one, his shipmates got up and shared stories about his life and career. If you'll look closely on his chest and the person that is next to him, his name is Chad Eichen. Uh, Dennis Astor is the guy in the middle there. But if you were to look closely and you were uh, kind of trained in looking at military awards, you would see that on the very top of both of their ribbon racks, they are wearing purple hearts, which means that they were wounded in combat. So they started to tell their story. And, inter- and interesting, Chad on the left side, he's a senior chief, was on my mew with me. He was deployed with me, I'd, and I didn't know him. He was on another ship. So we're, they're telling the story about how they were wounded in combat, how he was out there with his Marines, and he was uh, in, in uh, 2004, he was out with a bunch of Marines just outside of Fallujah, right before the Battle of Fallujah took place, which you know is an iconic battle. It's one of the biggest battles that our Marine Corps and our nation has fought since Vietnam. Um, It's major engagement. Uh, It's synonymous with house-to-house warfighting. And they're telling the story. One guy gets up there. He's a master chief, and he's the guest speaker, and he's telling the story of Dennis and all this stuff and how he... And and then I came, and I'm looking at this master chief, and I realize that when I was a chief back 20-something years ago, I taught that that master chief when he was a third-class petty officer. And I'm looking at him, and he's a master chief now, and I'm like, boy, I feel old. (laughs) So they're telling a story, and then another guy gets up and tells a story, and I'm starting to piece some things together... And it's kind of blowing my mind. Because as you notice, again, like I said, they're both wounded. Well, Dennis gets up and he tells now, he's now retiring, so he gets the floor. And so he's telling his story. And he says, and on that day, the 30th of October and 2004, when I was wounded in a roadside bomb and six of my Marines were killed and Chad was with me and we were both in that vehicle and we almost died, we were wounded, Nine additional Marines were wounded, and they were evacuated to separate places. And immediately when he said the 30th of November 2004, it clicked as I sat on that stage that I personally was the one 18 years ago who moved him off the battlefield. You can't rehearse this. You can't. And that his wife would be on my ship 18 years later. And that he would be moved by the power of the Holy Spirit 12,000 miles away while I'm praying an evening prayer and say, hey, could that chaplain, he didn't even know who I was. But that God had connected us together 18 years ago. And I moved Chad and I moved Dennis. One of them to Camp TQ to Cottam, Iraq. And another one to Camp Fallujah. So I immediately after this was over, I called my friend. Her name is, uh, her name is Virginia. It's Ginny, Ginny uh, uh, Heinrichs at the time. Um, many of you have a copy of my book. Uh, photos of her are in there. She was a young ensign during, during Fallujah. And I said, Ginny, you're not going to believe what happened. And I told her the story of what happened. And she said, wait a minute. What, what, was, what was the senior chief? What was his name? And I said, his name is Chad Eichen. She goes, oh my gosh, I know him. 
wait a minute, send me the photo. So I sent her the photo. She's looking at it. He was a young HN, a young E3. She personally worked on him when he was moved to that camp. She's now a Navy captain. She's now in charge of uh, NEMTI, the Navy Education Training Command, uh, I forget the actual acronym, up on the north part of Camp Pendleton. But this is the way that God moves. This is the way that God puts people together. And we have no idea if something that we did 20 years ago or 25 years ago is going to reach into the future and is going to impact us today. But this was one of those examples. What an amazing, amazing thing for me to take that photo with them. Knowing knowing that as a chief back then that I would have an impact on future chiefs that are still serving and still impacting the lives of young sailors and corpsmen and, and marines. A couple other photos that are up there that I'll, that I'll just kind of share with you. Before I get, went back into the Navy as a chaplain, I was out and I was pastoring a church here locally, uh, Generations Church. Had no idea that I was going back into the military. It was not on my radar. Um, it was... Um, I got out of the Navy at 16 and a half years to pastor that church, to give it my full attention, and, and it was not on my radar that I was going back in. As a matter of fact, I was convinced I was not going back into the Navy. At that time, somebody, and I, I can't even remember who it was, uh, spoke a word of prophecy over me that said that you will return to the Middle East, but this time you will not go as a soldier in the army, but you will return as a soldier in my army. And I'm like, that's silly. What does that even mean? So we're on this deployment, and our deployment was set to go to the 7th Fleet Area of Operation, which is the South China Sea, which is the, uh, the area around the uh, Indian Ocean and the Pacific uh, area, South China Sea, um, all of the Micronesian islands out there, all the, uh, the, the islands that uh, uh, were a part of World War II, the island ha- uh, hopping campaign. That's where we were supposed to be. And then uh, many of you remember that last uh, August and September, the Afghanistan blew up. And so while that was blowing up, they said, okay, yeah, you're not, you're not going going here anymore. You're going you're gonna to steam through there really fast, and you're going and making a beeline for CENTCOM to the Middle East because you are going to relieve the 24th Mew, who is in Afghanistan right now. You are going to go in and relieve them um, because they're supposed to come back from deployment. And uh, so we're all ready to go. Then the event happens. Uh, 11 of our uh, Marines and one sailor, one corpsman, was killed. Um, and a bunch of the Marines that were on my ship were colleagues or were, were uh, uh, friends of these guys that died. And so everybody's ready for a fight, right? Well, it didn't happen. The pullout happened. And right when we were there, ready to go, and it didn't happen. But a few days later, they said, hey, uh, we have this opportunity. We're going to go to Israel. And I'm like, what? Israel? Israel? What? And oh, by the way, we're going to be there on the Marine Corps' 246th birthday. And oh, by the way, chaps, we need you to do an invocation prayer over that birthday in Israel 
with a whole bunch of Israeli force soldier, defense force soldiers present. And what you don't see is that behind them is a whole bunch of high-ranking Israeli uh, politicians and State Department, their version of the State Department folks. And I shared this prayer, and it tied together all the historic battles of Israel and, and our shared collective effort to, uh, to advance the, the cause of freedom um, between the Americans and the Israelis. And in the course of my prayer, um, I, I was nervous about doing it because I was among Hebrew-speaking people, but my prayer was bilingual. I prayed in Hebrew, and I prayed in English. And there's a picture up there, I don't know if you can get to it, that shows, uh, that shows the Israeli uh, soldiers that as I'm praying, because I'm to the left, if you could, I don't know if you could go to next one, keep going. Um, I want to show you something that's interesting. Uh, that's, that's Ofek, of course, there. But there's a picture of me praying uh, next to the vehicle, and all of the Israeli forces are there, but there's one particular picture of one of the female soldiers that's looking over at me like really weird. Yeah, it's not that one, it's the next one. Uh, now they're talking, there's me praying to the left, there's the general right behind me, but the next one, there she is. The one on the very end there, she's looking straight over, and there's, a, and there's a, another picture of her, a close-up, and she has this weird look on her face, but it was right about the time that I said, Baruch Hashem Adonai, blessed be the name of the Lord, and I closed my prayer. The next day, because this was on a Saturday, the next day we had the service where I shared about Abraham offering up Isaac, and I got to point up the road and say, that happened about 42 miles up the road from Beersheba in Israel on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem. And there were Israeli defense forces that were there. And, and we made so many friends, and they were all so uh, just encouraged that we were there. They love America. They love uh, uh, our, our shared partnership and commitment. Uh, they absolutely were uh, the most friendly, amazing people in the world. And, and OFEC and all of his colleagues continued to say, please continue to pray for us. We are surrounded by people that want to kill us. Please keep praying for us. Everybody wants to kill us. They hate us. Please. And they would just, it was almost like on repeat. And so I wanted to share those things uh, in the beginning here to kind of set the stage for a message that I'm going to share with you called the blessings of liberty. A lot of times we, we, we know that this nation was founded on biblical principles. We know that we uh, are, 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 are basically moored to our, uh, our founding documents and our founding fathers and, and, and how it ties into um, Scripture and how it ties into this idea of liberty and freedom. But I'm going to share a couple of things this morning with you that I think is going to kind of blow your mind when you, when you realize just how specifically we are tied to our Christian heritage, our Judeo-Christian heritage, our, uh, the old and the new covenants. So in the, in the last two and a half centuries nearly that, that we've been a, a nation officially, there have been 60 different inaugural speeches and 46 different presidents, to include our current president. In the midst of those 60 inaugural speeches, every single one of those speeches 
from Republicans, Democrats, uh, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter what party, uh, all the way from the, from the very founding in George Washington to our current president, every single one of them have mentioned in some way blessings or liberty or freedom or, or they, have re- they have referred to the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. But specifically, five of those inaugural speeches have used the actual term blessings of liberty, quote, blessings of liberty. So I, I, I think that is, is crucial um, because that exact wording, blessings of liberty, is found um, in some very specific places in our, in our founding documents. So on, on the 4th of July, 1776, the final wording of the Declaration of Independence was approved and the 56 uh, signatories of the Second Continental Congress put pen to paper. And they declared that uh, to the world and to Great Britain that the 13 colonies would now be uh, and regard themselves as sovereign states um, and free from the oppressive rule of England, this declaration that was made. And so in memorialized in that charter document are these words. Check this out. This is, uh, this is found uh, in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, with certain unalienable rights. And among these, chief among these, my paraphrase, are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thirteen years later, the Constitution was actually ratified, and it came into full force as the supreme law uh, of, the, of the land. And, and uh, 39 delegates, including six of the original signers of the, of the Declaration of Independence, signed it into law on March 4th, uh, 1779. And in the preamble of the Constitution... If you've not read the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, let me encourage you to do that. But it says this, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. Coincidence that the five of the uh, 46 presidents have used that specific term, and every single one of them in 60 inaugural speeches have mentioned liberty and freedom and constitutional principles. Every single one of them. America is still the place where waves of freedom break on our shores. It's still a city that is set upon a hill. It is still a place with all of our faults, with all of the sinful things that are going on, with all of the troubles that we are having. It is still the place that everybody is trying to come to, and it's more than uh, that we give out free stuff. It's more than uh, that, that everybody wants to come to California or Texas or New York or that they want to see the, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Statue of Liberty. It's more than that. It has to do with liberty. It has to do with freedom and that's not just something that is a uh, secular thing. It's something that has its roots in something much deeper. Franklin D. Roosevelt, he once said this, The Almighty God has blessed our land in many ways. He has given our people stout hearts and strong arms with which to strike mighty blows for freedom and truth. He has given to our country a faith which has become the hope of all peoples in an anguished world. Some of the people that you see up on that screen 
have had a part in, 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 in lifting, in the heavy lifting and in the, in the pursuit of freedom and, de, and defending uh, that freedom. Dwight, uh, Dwight Eisenhower later proclaimed, May the light of freedom coming to all darkened lands flame brightly until at last the darkness is no more. Don't you think it's interesting that our presidents, that our uh, politicians tap into spiritual language, biblical language? The cost to preserve and defend our freedom uh, and the blessings of liberty have been very high, my friends. One need no, look no further than the 3.4 million white headstones which line our national cemeteries around this nation. We just celebrated uh, the 4th of July, 246 years, um, and many of the things that happen on the 4th of July and on Memorial Day center around those national cemeteries and putting wreaths out or putting flags out or whatever the case may be. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, just got a, a message from my mom a week ago, uh, one of my childhood friends, that I, their friend, but I grew up in their house with his son, uh, fell and bumped his head, and, and he ended up passing away. But he was a Vietnam veteran um, who is now underneath one of those white headstones. So it's real for all of us. Um, the, the, uh, the sacrifice is real. There's a very high uh, price to pay for securing that, that liberty. Minot J. Savage said this, the brave die never. Though they sleep in dust, their courage nerves a thousand living men. And they stand there today as living stones forever telling their story to a new generation of warriors. Their bravery is etched in those marble uh, stones. President Reagan, who uh, is one of my personal heroes, he understood that the cost of freedom was worth uh, defending when he said, freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but when? But it is a price that we have never been unwilling to pay. And lastly, William Harvard said this, the greatest glory of a freeborn people is to transmit that freedom to our children. So let me jump back to the previous line of thought. 46 presidents have sworn an oath. Um, and in each of them, they've touched on freedom and liberty and democracy and, and, and have cast a new vision for, you know, the, the country, all of that type of thing. But I mentioned that five of them mentioned that specific word, the blessings of liberty, to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Uh, it means to, uh, to, be sh to make sure and to defend, to lay hold of, and to make safe the innumerable good things which come as a result of this newly purchased freedom. So where does that lead us, this idea of freedom, this idea of liberty and the blessings? Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you it didn't start with our presidents. did not start with our presidents. Uh, it didn't even start in the minds of our founding fathers who put pen to paper and signed the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. didn't begin there. As a matter of fact, it started way back before any American president or speech or document that has anything to do with the United States. It started long ago in a small village in Galilee. A young man named Jesus, fresh off of his baptism and 40 days in the desert, came filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he began to teach in the synagogues. And he stood in the midst of the synagogue, and when the scroll was given to him, he read from this passage. He said uh, in Luke 4, chapter 
4, verses 14 to 19, it talks about this inaugural sermon, but he taps into the prophet Isaiah. And he, and, he, and he quotes from two different passages, Isaiah chapter 61, and there's references in there to Isaiah 58. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the, the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So stop the press. I'm not exactly sure if we can just gloss over that passage. You see, of the 23,145 verses in the Old Testament, I find, I find it very interesting that Jesus, the Son of God, who quite obviously has gone down in history as the most influential person who has ever walked the planet, who could have chosen anything or any scripture to launch his, uh, his uh, ministry, he chose this passage of scripture from the book of Isaiah. And why is that? The first 39 chapters of Isaiah reflect God's judgment on the, and the remaining 27 chapters uh, talk of his grace and a message of hope for God's people. And there's numerous passages that foretell of the coming of the Messiah, the Mashiach, that would come and set his people free. And as a matter of fact, the, the name Isaiah in the original Hebrew is uh, pronounced Yesha Yahu. Yesha Yahu or Yeshua uh, is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. So the very title of the book is Yeshua, or Jesus in the English transliteration, is salvation. He chose to use this passage from the pages of Isaiah's second half of his book uh, uh, and, and to tap into a prophecy that specifically talks about him coming and exactly what he would do while he was here on earth. And he gives a five-fold manifest, manifestation of what that mission is. He says to preach the gospel to the poor. He says to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So you see, Jesus, in launching his international uh, television and internet preaching ministry, <laughs> with all of the hats and the t-shirts, with the easy-to-use app, knowing that this sermon would be tweeted and retweeted around the world, draws from two specific messianic passages in Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58 that speak of healing, liberty, and the charting of a new era. He essentially says, listen up, Satan. There's a new sheriff in town. And I'm here to break chains and to set people free. He served notice on Satan that your days are numbered. And he taps into these passages that clearly speak of his coming. 
And as a matter of fact, one of them, both Isaiah 58 and 61, clearly refer. And now this is important. I want you to, uh, to, to uh, if you're taking notes, to draw some bombs bursting around this or some stars, underline it and highlight it. But Isaiah 51 and 60, uh, 58 and 61 both clearly refer to the Jewish year of Jubilee as found in Leviticus chapter 25. And check out what Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 6 says. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? That's jubilee language right there. What is jubilee? Well, every 50 years in the Jewish law, uh, every seven years, you're supposed to let the crops rest. You know, it's the, it's the Sabbath year, all of that kind of stuff, right? But uh, on, the four, on the seven times seven, then on the 50th year, it's the year of Jubilee where all the captives go free, all the land goes back. Everything, who, every, everything that was wrong is made right. It's the number 50. And this messianic jubilee-toned language chosen by Jesus is absolutely the most perfect text for this occasion. He was declaring to a new age that this new age was upon them in their hearing as they're listening to him read this scroll in this synagogue. He was turning the scales upside down on Satan, and he was saying that the first would be last, the poor would be blessed, and that Chick-fil-A would be closed on Sundays. It's a, rough, it's a rough translation, but it's in there. <laughs> it's my belief that this inaugural speech, along with the principles of freedom that are found uh, throughout Scripture, are, are what our forefathers drew upon to set in motion this great American experiment. It would be a physical manifestation of the idea of Jubilee. It would be the embodiment of liberty and freedom from bondage unlike anything that the world had ever seen. Now, if you think that I've reached a little, okay, some people are a guy going, eh, I don't know if, I don't know if that, you're kind of, it's a little bit of hyperbole or hyperbole, 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 I don't know exactly how you, so if you think I've reached a little bit on this whole idea of Jubilee and that America is kind of founded on this idea of Jubilee, this super Jubilee, uh, we need to look no further uh, than uh, an article written by our sixth president, John Quincy Adams. In 1839, he details the resulting blessing which came from the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution. This particular article written in 1839, the title of the document is The Jubilee of the Constitution. And if that hasn't fully convinced you of God's divine hand upon this nation, maybe this will help you. Fifty years after the signing of the Declaration on the 4th of July, 1776, 50 years later, on the 4th of July, 1826, five hours apart from one another, John Adams, the second president of the United States, and Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, both died exactly 50 years after signing the Declaration of Independence. Within five years, or within five hours of one another. Oh, and just to add a little bit to that, the fifth president of the United States, John Monroe, exactly five years later on the 4th of July, 
died. He was serving in the Continental Congress and the Continental Army during uh, that time and was our sixth president or fifth president. So the preamble of the United States Constitution speaks of securing the blessings of liberty. Uh, and it's a theme that runs through all 46 inaugural speeches. And as a matter of fact, a term specifically, the blessings of liberty, are used by five of those presidents. And it's found uh, in, in our founding documents. It's found and it's quoted often by our founding fathers. Uh, it's found in the very word of God. And it is something that Jesus Christ used as his mission statement. The blessings of liberty. This is why he came. He came to set captives free. And this nation stands as a city on a hill and as a shining beacon of hope for all the world to see. And I, in my fifth deployment, in my roughly 32 years-ish that I've been doing this, wearing this uniform, I see that even the Israelis still see us as that beacon of freedom and hope. Even if they don't know exactly, even if I mispronounce some Hebrew in that picture, I don't think I did. I thought I did a pretty good job of it. But the whole world sees us as a city that's set upon a hill. And with that comes great responsibility. Pastor Randy mentioned it from the pulpit up here as he gave announcements that we have an obligation to pray for our nation, to pray for our government, to pray for our president and all of the cabinet and uh, the, 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 the Congress, all of those things that we are called in Scripture to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for the peace of our own nation, that Jesus was the first one who readily laid down his life and shed his blood to purchase freedom. We that serve on active duty and those who have served as veterans still really live in that place. We still are in that embodiment of laying down uh, lives and laying down comfort and going and doing something that's important to secure the blessings of liberty around the world. John chapter 8, verse 36, most of you know it well, says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So, how should we as freedom-loving Americans respond to the blessings of liberty, that which has been purchased on our behalf? What should we do in response? And, and because a sermon is not valid without three points and a paragraph, I'm going to give you three things that we can do. <laughs> I read that somewhere. It's not valid. If, if you only have two points, it's not valid. Four points is just too much because people check out and they're slobbering at that. It's like, ah, got to get to lunch. We got to beat the Baptists. Number one, remember that freedom is not free. It costs many hundreds of thousands of lives to maintain, and it costs Jesus his own life to purchase our freedom. Never take that for granted. Number two, walk worthy. Walk in a manner that is worthy of the freedom that has been graciously purchased for you. Count the blessings of liberty every single day in your life. Not everyone around the world has the freedom to do that, which I saw firsthand again. Every one of my deployments, the first one being in 1992 in Somalia, believe me, in Mogadishu, there is no freedom going on there. And people are, under, are groaning under a yoke of oppression. And thirdly, 
or someone with a grant with an English background like Pastor Randy would say, lastly. Thirdly, thirdish. I'm trying to annoy you. Third. Pray for those defending our nation. And I'm not just talking about those serving on in the, in, the, uh, in the armed forces. I'm talking about pastors who are defending our freedom. I'm talking about politicians that need to get it right. Pray for them. Pray for those defending our nation, for our national and local leaders, that we live in <laughs> divisive and evil days. Truly, we do. Our leaders need our prayers more than ever to make the right choices. And Scripture command us, commands us to pray for those in authority over us that we may, what? Live peaceable and quiet lives. So, as I look at all of these pictures, and, and I'm going to conclude with this, it's so important to remember that around the world, people still see us as that city that is set upon a hill. Never take that for granted. If you've ever traveled to another country, lived in another country, doesn't matter how freedom-loving it is, it doesn't matter if it's Western, doesn't matter if it's Australia or Britain, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, whatever, Italy, or if it's a third world or fourth world or fifth world nation, every single nation looks to us as that city that is set upon a hill. And that was most highlighted by one last little thing that I'll share with you. In 2017, I was stationed on a little island in the middle of the Indian Ocean called Diego Garcia. Well, the Brits, we lease it from the Brits. The Brits, and we just signed another 50-year lease on that island. The Brits run and administrate the island. There's a British representative that represents the government and is the senior uh, Royal Naval Commander that's there. And I was talking to the command sergeant major one day as we are looking out in the lagoon at 10 of our supply ships that are sitting out there that are loaded with war gear, tanks and artillery pieces and Humvees and everything that you can imagine are sitting out there. They're just waiting to be able to support if something happens anywhere around the world. And I was talking with this command sergeant major who is a Scot. He's from Scotland. I, I thought about calling him William Wallace, but I thought he might punch me in the face. But he said to me, he said, chaps, a lot of people in Britain want to know why we have the United States, why we lease this island to the United States. And I look out into the, I point out into the lagoon, and I say, you see that one ship that's there? One of the ten. One ship has more equipment and gear on it than the entire British military. That's why we have America here, because their presence ensures liberty and freedom. Thank you for having me. Would you close with me in a word of prayer? Father, you are so good, and Lord, you're gracious and compassionate. But Lord, you are also a mighty warrior. You are that, uh, that uh, warrior who fights for us and fights for this world. Uh, Lord, you fight for souls and Lord, our responsibility as your servants, as your disciples, as your followers is to, is to walk in that which you embodied when you were here on earth to set the captives free, to walk in that liberty 
and Lord, to be an extension of your hand on earth. Lord, use us, equip us, fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit that we might be a blessing to all that would look upon this nation, that we would be a blessing to all who are bound by sin and, and, and the trials of life, that we could point them to you. For truly, you, when you set someone free, they are free indeed. Thank you for the blessings of liberty. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of Pathfinders. This series is for men who want to make a difference in the world around them. We want to partner with you on this exciting journey. Go to calvaryfv.com slash pathfinders and click on the engage button. We'll periodically send you encouragements and exhortations to be the pathfinder God created you to be. Every man needs help periodically, so please let us know if there is any way that we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 62488. If this material has blessed you in some way, you find it useful in any way, please leave a comment or review and subscribe to it, this channel, so that you don't miss any other things that we publish. And send it to someone else that might need to hear it or see it. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ, to find their way. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 62488. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Jesus.